am I? <laughs> okay, I think I'm live. Uh, so, yay, Heather joined. Tonight, I have a breast specialist with me. She is the physician assistant at Stanford, I, who I work with, and she is awesome. She is the most approachable coworker. She knows a ton of information, but she's really approachable, and she has agreed to answer all of our booby questions this evening, which I'm so excited about. Speaking of boobs, I was trying to not have a baby with me during this, but things don't always work out as we were hoping, so I will be using my boobies during the booby Q&A. Um, and I just like growing up, I always went to summer camp and we always had like cabin chats late at night, which were always my favorite part because it was Christian camp. So it was like boobs and all kinds of lady things. So I thought that would be a fun theme for this evening. Hence, I'm in my pajamas. And I also wanted to share that I had found out a really great way to write letters home from camp and you can write them ahead of time because most of what happens at camp is very expectable. So I had developed this technique to write letters home from camp when I was younger. This is one example. It's a scar from Lion King. Dear Grammy, I miss you. Talk to slash why later. Love Tracy. So if your kids go to camp, feel free to pass along the information. You don't actually have to write the letters. You can just write them ahead of time and guess what will happen to camp. Um, so I am going to add Heather now. How do I? Oh, view. Okay. Okay, she's coming on. Here she is now. Heather! Hi! Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, you like, for having me. Did you like my story about summer camp and how you're basically like our all-knowing counselor? Well, you gave me an opportunity to wear my kimono pajama, so... Ooh! I, think that's I, like, I would have been very impressed with you in my cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so for anybody who hasn't heard me raving about Heather, she works at Stanford. She's a physician assistant in breast surgery and plastics. She has a daughter, Evelyn, who's around Cohen's age, and she loves sashimi. Anything else you want to add? Um, I'm a boob enthusiast. <laughs> boob enthusiast. <laughs> That's You've seen a lot of boobies, haven't you? I have, and it comes in all different shapes and sizes. How many boobs would you, like, guesstimate that you've seen at this point? <laughs> um, let's see. I work three or four days a week, and I probably touch about ten or more boobs, sets of boobs every day. <laughs> so you can do the math. <laughs> it's like, I can't do math, but ten times, like, 30 a week, and then you work there for over a year, so 30 times 50 a lot of boobies a lot of boobs if anyone knows the math and can just let us know how many boobs heather has touched last year we would be grateful maybe we should have a giver <laughs> okay so what uh started this all off was my friend sent me a question asking basically about mammograms like in my mind i was always like later you know i'm young that's for when you're old and the age is coming upon us, but it sounds like there's some like differing of opinions in terms of mammogram recommendations. And then I had some questions about thermography, which I hadn't really heard of either had you. So 
why don't you kick it all off if you wouldn't mind i did send heather our questions ahead of time so we can kind of crank through them as much as we can we're gonna try to limit this to like 8 45 so a 45 minute live and if we depending on how far we get we may do another one if heather is willing um but we'll just see what we can get through so heather why don't you kick it off with screening these boobies for cancer what's the recommendations best ways to do it go so for average risk women, um, the mammogram is always the gold standard. It's been around for over 50 years. So it's been the gold standard for screening breast cancer in general. Um, it's a low dose x-ray. You squeeze your boobs between two plates and it flattens out the breast tissue. And it's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, probably picks up more than 85% of breast cancers. There can be some false negatives. So always keep in mind, if you have a lump and the mammogram does not show anything, you still have to investigate it. Okay. Um, some people with more dense breasts might consider getting ultrasounds as part of their screening, but that hasn't been uh, enough research to indicate that that's um, significant. But okay. some people might choose ultrasounds as part of their screening if they have denser breasts. Um, Question about that. I know Stanford does not do whole breast ultrasound and other places do. Like, do you know much about that? That is correct. But we are looking to kick that off very soon. But currently, oh, really? we do whole breast ultrasounds. We only do focal ultrasounds as a diagnosis to any palpable findings or any concerns or screening mammogram detected uh, findings, but we okay. do not do screenings at Stanford yet. And a that lot means of like we only do them if you feel a lump, then right. we'll do an ultrasound. Right. Only if there is a concern. We don't do screening at Stanford yet. Got it. Actually, okay. insurances don't always cover screening ultrasounds. So it's something that mm -hmm. is mostly for high risk or dense breasts. Okay. And yes, thermography, I actually never heard of it before and yes. research. So I learned something from this live as well. Um, so most major organizations actually don't recommend thermography. And okay. it's actually based on the heat that is radiated off breast tissue. And the idea is that breast cancer is basically very active cells so it could generate more heat but it is very very non-specific and it, sometimes it doesn't pick up any breast cancer even if there is so it's def it's basically advised against and the fda is actually um putting out a disclaimer that it's not recommended as a screening tool like, oh really Hi. I did not know that and i didn't even know like where who who offers thermography i hadn't heard of that before you know i don't know but i yeah i've never heard of it before so it's probably not very um reputable institutions that have it but um yeah not, something not. that's newer and maybe newer. more holistic kind of like okay exactly. how worried do you know this is like going off the um off of our script but how like how worried should women be about the radiology and like cumulative radiation exposure if you started early for example that's a really good question so mammograms are actually pretty low dose and walking around getting sun exposure is actually radiation too and 
mammogram is actually equal to three months of just being in your natural environment, getting your radiation from your environment. Really? So low risk and low radiation. And compared to oh. the benefit of detecting breast cancer, it's worth it. Yeah, no kidding. I had no idea. That's actually very good info. What about like MRIs that those, so let me just give you a little bit of background that I'm dropping on you right now. So I am a gene carrier for MUTE-YH, which is like not actually associated with breast cancer, but it's associated with other cancers. So um, there hasn't, it's, my understanding is, is if you have a family member with breast cancer, you should start screenings 10 years earlier than the earliest, than the like youngest diagnosed, for example. So let's say my aunt was like 55, I should theoretically in that situation start them at 45 but actually it seems like 40 is the going rate like what what's the deal with like when you should start screenings and yes yeah, so that's a great question actually different organizations out have different recommendations so the usps task force and the american association of family physicians actually say it's safe to do it starting from age 50 and you can oh, do it like every two years instead of every year. Okay. Uh, whereas the uh, um, National Comprehensive Cancer Network, breastcancer.org, um, all say that you should start at 40 every year. Um, That's a big difference, huh? Yeah, so the idea is that breast cancer detected under 50 is probably very early, low risk. It's not really gonna change the longevity of your lifespan, but Okay. As a breast surgery PA, I've seen a lot of young, very advanced breast cancer. So I would say I would do personally starting at age 40 and every year. And then okay. it depends on your risks. If you have a family member who's had young breast cancer, the um, guideline is to start 10 years before them, but not later than age 40. Okay. Um, according to, you know, most major and not earlier, usually than age 30. Okay. Um, for mammograms, because actually mammograms don't tend to be very accurate for under 30. It's actually ultrasounds that tend to be more uh, that picks up more because when you're younger, your breasts are more dense. And mammograms actually are not as accurate for dense breast tissue. Because mm. breast tissue looks white on mammograms. And okay. cancer can look white on mammograms. So what it's like the comic finding Waldo, where's Waldo? So it's very hard to see what's going on if there's a lot of background noise. So mammograms tend to be not as accurate for dense breasts. And for high risk people, you might even consider adding in MRIs. Okay. So this is also off the script, but a genuine question I have. What exactly does dense breasts mean? Like, I don't, I know that you have like, glands and places that make milk in your boobs there's fat like what are the different what does it mean to have dense breasts so breasts are made of breast tissue and fat and dense breasts just means that you have more breast actual breast tissue compared to fat anything mm. above 75 percent breast tissue compared to fat is considered dense breast tissue oh is that like milk making products are exactly. like okay the so hard a lot workers of... in the boobs <laughs> okay and then mri refresh me like mri is better at picking up so mris tend to be more sensitive as in it can pick up more things but sometimes it can lead to more false positives 
So you do an MRI, you see something suspicious, it leads to more tests or biopsies, more invasive things. So we don't recommend MRIs for everyone. It's only for people with high risk or there's something that we're looking at or if you have a finding that you feel but it's not seen on mammogram and you have dense breasts. So it's a decision making that you have to talk to your providers about. Okay. Got it. And then we had a question, like someone very young felt a breast mass. And so like, what happens if you're, you know, let's say under 40 and you feel something. Oh, that was another question about like, should you still be doing uh, monthly breast exams, self breast exams? Is that recommended? Like, what are your opinions on that? So that's a good question as well. Um, the main thing to notice for self-breast exams is to understand your own breast and what's normal for yourself versus different. So any changes that you haven't had before, then that's something that's alarming. But um, overall, self-breast exams are finding more benign or non-cancerous lesions. Oh, really? Okay. But you have seen patients who have found their cancer by themselves. Yes, it usually it's more advanced if it's self Um, But if you are high risk, I would recommend doing it. But otherwise, I periodically consider doing it to get to the baseline of your breast tissue. Okay, sorry, we had to switch sides there real quick. I have an unhappy customer. Um, <laughs> so, like, for someone at average risk, would you recommend that they, or let's say they have somebody in their family who has, like, breast cancer, would you recommend monthly self-exams? I would say learn the right way to do There are tons of videos online on how to do it correctly, and um, a lot of times my patients feel a lump, and actually when you do a correct breast exam, as in you flatten out all the breast tissue, the mass, disappears because it's actually superimposed breast tissue. So I think if you're high risk or if you have a family history, it's worth doing it. Okay. That's good to know. All right. So just like get used to your boobs, how they feel, and then you can feel something's different or like growing. Exactly. Okay. And you should also notice when, what relation to your periods feel the lump. Sometimes it could be just hormonal changes with your cycle that's causing cysts that goes away with after your period or your premenstrual cycle, then that's not as alarming that a mass that uh, continues to grow or it doesn't go away with your cycle. That's such a good question. And that actually was another question that we had further down on the list. What about if you have really painful masses that come on, come and go during your period? Like what's the best way to manage those? And like what exactly is causing the hormones, it sounds like, but. Yeah, so if you Google the menstrual cycle, there are lots of ebbs and flows of different hormones, including luteal hormone, estrogen, progesterone. So lots of peaks that stimulate ovulation and usually the hormone changes cause more breast changes and stimulation the week before your period. And that can cause breast pain. And usually okay. it's mild. You don't really have to do anything about it. Or you can try some benign things like warm compresses or icing, a supportive bra. Um, and then you should also look at, are you on birth control or any hormones that you might be on that you might need to be have adjusted? Mm, uh, some, okay. some birth control pills actually can cause more pain and some can actually decrease pain. So it's something that you should talk to your OBGYN about. Okay, very interesting. I did not know that. Yes. 
Um, but let's say you're okay under 40, you have pain or a mass that does not seem to be correlating to your period. What happens next? So you would go to your provider for a breast exam. And then usually the imaging we want to do is if you're over 40, definitely you would get a mammogram and an ultrasound. So okay. the mammogram is going to be different. It's not the screening mammogram where you just have fewer views. You're just screening for breast cancer. If you have symptoms or a palpable mass, then you would get a diagnostic mammogram where they do more views to take a look at what's going on. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, you should consult with someone definitely and check mm -hmm. in with it. Sometimes these concerns are nothing, but sometimes it can be something. Breast yes. pain is actually rarely a sign of breast cancer. So take that as a little reassurance. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Especially if it's not like at one spot or if it's both sides, it's very rarely associated with breast cancer. Oh. Less than 5% actually. Way to pull that statistic out, Heather. I had to do some <laughs> research to give you guys some true data. I so appreciate it. Hold on a second. This baby is done feeding, and I saw my husband running away, and I wanted to take her. CJ! This is just like life of a new mom. CJ! Thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Well on to the next question um okay so so you they found something they did a mammogram or an ultrasound if they're under 40 right if it was a mass and they were under 40 you were going to do an ultrasound is that correct so if you are over 30 then you would always get a mammogram and an okay ultrasound. if you're okay. under 30 then usually you start with just an ultrasound and then they might consider getting a mammogram as well. But usually if it's under 30, ultrasound is more accurate. Okay. So she's under 30. They found a mass on ultrasound. Then what would happen? It depends. So breast imaging actually has categories on how suspicious they are. So it could, there's something called a BIRADS uh, system. B-I-R-A-D-S. Uh, -R -R so it goes from zero to six. And zero means needs more information. Either you are moving a lot or they don't have enough views or they need to compare to your old images. One okay. is totally normal, nothing to worry about at all uh, on the imaging. Two okay. is there are some benign findings like a simple cyst or something not very suspicious at all. And then three is probably benign. It's probably nothing to worry about. So we would just watch it with another ultrasound or something later on. Okay. And I actually wanted to pull up some numbers because a lot of patients tell me, you know, I get this reading, it says probably benign. I'm not really reassured by this. So yeah, actually, there is less than 2% chance of cancer when it's a BIRAS 3. So that's pretty reassuring. Whoa. Okay, yeah, that is way better than a 3. Like a 3 sounds iffy, but 2% sounds... Yeah, exactly. So virus mm. 4 is actually broken up into multiple categories, but in short, it means a little bit suspicious and you should consider getting a biopsy uh, okay. just to make sure. And then 5 is there is, it's pretty lo much looks like cancer. There's a above 95% chance of it being cancer. And then 6 is when there is a biopsy and you've already shown it. Okay. So you do not want to see a 5 or a 6 if you have a mammogram. 
No, you do not. So it really depends on how it feels, how it looks um, to determine the next step. But you could get it biopsied or you could watch it with follow-up imaging. You would probably see your provider in a few months to make sure it's not growing. Okay. And then, like, I actually got a question recently in the questions, but what is causing these hormonal breast masses that aren't cancer? Like, what are different benign breast masses? It's, it's definitely the bulk of it is due to hormones. When you're younger, you tend to get more benign breast findings. And a lot of it has to do with your hormone levels. Fibrocystic breasts, for example, uh, fibrous breasts are like scar tissue in the breast. Mm -hmm. It looks like scar tissue type of tissue. And cysts you tend to have as your hormones change and it usually fluctuates with menstrual cycles. So mm -hmm. usually when you get older, these things go away by itself. And benign findings uh, usually, in general, do not turn into cancer. Oh, that's good to know, too. Okay. So hormones, just in general, we can just blame everything benign on hormones. A lot of it has to blame with hormones. That's pretty accurate. And actually, if you go into menopause and you're on hormone replacement, that can actually bring that can actually contribute to breast cancer so that it's true when you bring back the hormones you can bring back risk of breast cancer okay and some cancers grow by hormones too correct yes yeah. so actually they're one of the ways we can lower your risk of breast cancer is by giving you hormone blocking pills so okay. it definitely targets the hormones in your body okay like aromatase inhibitors and tamoxifen and all those yes lots okay. and lots of different ones gotcha um i have there's a question here about breastfeeding affecting uh cancer development and if so by how much like there was some different info there well tracy you're doing a great job at knowing <laughs> breast cancer risk uh, breastfeeding definitely decreases breast cancer risk and studies show for every 12 months of breastfeeding, you can actually lower your risk by 4.3%. Mm. So, so if you breastfed your kid on average for a year, that's 4.3%. So if I had like, what is that? 24 kids, I could just like wipe it out. Is that um, I think there are other problems to breastfeeding 24 kids than breast cancer, but if you want to do that, all power to you, and you would I be have to a say, hero in my books. I was watching um, Call the Midwife, and there was the first episode, pilot episode, a woman had had 24 babies. Oh, I think I watched that episode. Did you? Did you watch all of the seasons? Or? No, I didn't. Okay, I just watched that first pilot, and then I like wasn't that into it but yeah. oh, so many people have recommended it to me I went back for round two last night so maybe as I get deeper into quarantine that'll be my next show <laughs> I just finished Sweet Magnolias and it was really cute I liked that one a lot um I did have questions about genetic testing for breast cancer like if if you're younger like i mean most of the people that are watching this probably are under 40 i would say if you have had like a mom or an aunt or a grandma who had breast cancer like at what point would you ask your doctor about getting genetic testing or would everybody or like they have the um like BRCA1 and 2 testing that you can do through 23andme like what do you, what's the deal with that 
So it uh, usually we start with a person who has had the breast cancer to see if they have a genetic mutation. So uh, usually you would start with that person. And if they don't have it, then you're less, you know, this probably not a mutation that caused their breast cancer. So you may not need to get tested. Hmm, However, okay. if they're younger than 45 in their first, second degree relative, then you might get, consider getting tested as well. But yes, usually we start with a person who has had breast cancer to test. Um, to see if they got a mutation. If your relative didn't, didn't have a mutation, then you probably don't have a mutation from their risk. That's but such a good point. I would talk to a genetic counselor because there are actually lots of different genes to test for. Uh, depends on you, if you've had breast cancer yourself or second breast cancer. If you've had breast cancer uh, usually younger than 45, you automatically qualify for genetic testing for insurance coverage. Um, if you have relatives on a certain age, if you have high-risk breast lesions, if your risk is high, or perhaps maybe you have some uh, cancer in the past that's related to breast cancer, like ovarian cancer, you might qualify. So there are a lot of factors, and I would recommend speaking to a genetic counselor to talk about all of that. Um, they would go over like your whole family tree, and they'll go over what the test results might mean. Uh, they'll order the appropriate tests. Um, so it's important that you speak to a genetic counselor before you get the test. Uh, a lot of commercial testing, like 23andMe or what's the other one? Um, I forget. But you too. <laughs> uh, I haven't done my, uh, I don't know exactly if 23andMe tests all the parts of the gene, of the BRCA gene. So there okay. are some commercial tests out there that actually don't test the entire BRCA genome where they actually don't do a comprehensive tests so or they only do the BRCA whereas there are other genes that cause breast cancer that they don't test for so someone might be falsely reassured that they don't have a genetic mutation when there's something mm. else out there so I definitely sure. would talk to a genetic counselor about it and BRCA is like the most common like that's with breast cancer and ovarian Angelina Jolie had exactly. it she did a double mastectomy and then they recommend oophorectomy which is removing the ovaries as well correct Exactly. That's one of the most popular ones because our celebrity friends have had it. <laughs> Got it. And what exactly is like the BRCA gene? Like what I know, here's what I understand of it, that, that we have genes and they're actually BRCA stands for breast cancer gene. So it surveys and if it finds breast cancer, then it would turn off and kill the breast cancer. So BRCA gene means that you have an error in your cancer detection genes. Is that well, yeah, it's pretty much that's the basics of it. So we all have DNA, which has these codes uh, for doing different things. And there are actually some protective codes that protects us from mutations in our body and deletes and protects ourselves from these mutations. But when you have a BRCA gene mutation, all these errors, they don't get um you basically don't get that protective feature and you can develop these mutations and your body doesn't have a way to combat these mutations. So that can cause the breast cancer. I think this is actually a good question that I just came up with myself. If I don't mind tuning my own horn, what would cause those initial genetic mutations that like, so BRCA can't, isn't catching them, but what causes them? So you just basically your body makes mistakes. Sometimes there's so many copies of different proteins and different things being made all the time. So 
no one's perfect and our DNA is not perfect. It makes mistakes. And most of the times our body can catch these mistakes um, and make extra copies of something. But when you have a gene mutation, sometimes you don't make an extra copy or you don't catch these mistakes and those things can lead to breast cancer. So that's the genetic mutation causing breast cancer. But there are other causes, environmental, just pure genetic, uh, pure DNA mistakes that happen that cause breast cancer. So most of it is unknown, right? And in terms right. of environmental, like, I feel like there's so much about, oh, my cosmetics, my Tupperware, am I near the microwave? Am I using a cell phone? Like what, how concerned would you be about those type of things? I think you would drive yourself crazy if you were to think about every single thing that could cause cancer. I would mm -hmm. say, you know, lead a healthy lifestyle, eat well, exercise, and the other things. I would just say if you can avoid some things, go ahead and do it. And if not, then I think you should live your life. Um, but we know that drinking and smoking can mm -hmm. increase your risk of breast cancer. So those are things that you can easily modify. Got it. So I think there's like such a big push for like clean beauty, clean um, cleaning products, clean I don't know, clothing, even like using organic cotton. Um, but I think my advice to most people asking that question and feel free to differ with me or whatever you think, but is like focus on the things that we have scientific research that will prevent risk like diet, exercise, smoking, and drinking and red meat for colon cancer um, and focus on those things. But instead of like spending a bunch of money or like time or stress or worry about cosmetics, for example, like make sure you're doing the basic most like research based things first before focusing on smaller non-research supported things Is that. Yeah, I agree. definitely agree with that. There's just impossible to do enough research to investigate every little thing. So there isn't actually data for a lot of these things. But it's like eating organic. If you can afford it and you want to do it, then that's great for your family. But if you can't afford it and that's not an option for you, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. Yeah, that's good advice. And I heard actually, save a few bucks, You avocados don't need to be organic because the outside you don't eat the outside so that's right i heard that um let's see we're doing really good i feel like we've made oh i definitely want to hit on um why is one boob bigger than the other <laughs> that's an issue in my household um especially after breastfeeding like okay I did. I will say Kelly mom. I love that resource for anything. Breastfeeding questions. Like just type in, you know, like one boob is bigger than the other, not making milk. I'm very sad when I breastfeed. Like there's, she has so many great resources, but let's talk about like after you're done breastfeeding or just in general, like Heather, why is one of my boobs bigger than the other boob? I love kellymom.com. I definitely used it a lot when I was breastfeeding. Yes. Um, but basically my, my model or my mantra at work when someone asked me that is breasts are sisters, not twins. <laughs> Everyone is different and you're not made a mirror image of each side. You only have one heart, one liver. So your body is different. Okay. 
So most of, most people have little subtle cup dif cup size differences, but there are some conditions where you can have one that's a lot larger than the other, and you have the option of getting plastic surgery either to make the smaller one bigger or the bigger one smaller. Um, sometimes you can get trauma to your breasts or surgery when you're very young, your breasts are still developing. That might lead to um, an underdeveloped breast on one side, but overall, mm. not much of a difference. Um, I mean, like, what do most people have? Like a half a cup difference or a cup? Like, what's yeah? I would say it's pretty subtle that the the person who has the breasts feel like there's more of a difference than someone yeah. actually, you know, looking at them. Did you ever see that movie Superstar with Shannon, Molly Shannon? I have not. You need to watch it, Heather. You can come over after COVID and watch it. But she always goes, this one's the mommy and this one's the baby. And they're <laughs> friends and they hold hands. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. You have to watch it. Okay. You'll, you'll come over after COVID. Um, but what, so let's say one boob was way bigger. I actually had questions about breast reduction, like surgery, what's involved with that? If, is it worth it? When would you do it? But you mentioned it for, if one of your boobs was way bigger than the other boob, um, what's involved? Like how do they remove part of your boob? Yeah. So you can make the smaller one bigger by getting a breast implant, or uh, you can make the bigger one smaller by getting a breast reduction. Um, breast reduction Plastic surgery is not a magic wand that can just do something. You actually are trading the size and the shape for the scars. So breast reduction or lift involves scars and it looks like an anchor or at least a lollipop if it's a small incision around your areola, up and down, mm -hmm. and across the crease. So it's pretty extensive scarring. So um, you would consider it if it's worth that to you. And actually, a lot of my patients who have very large painful breasts or that causes neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, yeah. lots of happy customers there. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, if it was like your boobs were causing your back to hurt every day, then I could see doing that yeah and a lot of times insurance will cover it if you have mm. reasons why you need a breast reduction other than just like i don't like my boobs i want to like not wear a bra you know you'd need more than that yeah. so breast lift um is making your breasts more perky uh breast reduction is actually making it smaller and it comes with a breast lift so a breast oh always always comes with a lift yes because we're removing skin and making that pocket tighter so a breast lift is considered cosmetic your insurance would not cover that but making them smaller is can be covered if you have some reasons why it might be affecting your quality of life so if your boobs were so big that your neck was and back were hurting all the time with the lift that's like it's just a part of it that's just a part of it but sometimes actually the lifting can reduce pain because there are little uh, ligaments called Cooper's um, Cooper's ligaments within your breasts that when you have heavy droopy breasts those ligaments get pulled on and pendulous start... yes. I learned the word pendulous, pendulous. <laughs> pendulous so those get pulled on your nerves actually get stretched so by lifting it it actually decreases breast pain in that way Oh, I did not know that. Um, that actually brings me to another question that's not on our list. And I'm paying attention to the time. We have about seven minutes left of what we were trying to cover. Um, is there any way that you can like 
so you say you have ligaments in your boobs. A question that comes to my mind is like, if I wore a bra 24-7, would that help me make my boobs not droopy in the future? Um, I actually don't have evidence for that, but I would think mm -hmm. that it can be true because when you stretch out your skin and you have a lot of weight pulling on it, the elasticity can be compromised. So I would think it would work, but I would probably have to do some research to get some hard data on that. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to the, we'll talk to the docs and see if they have any 411 on that. It just came to my mind. Um, but what about breastfeeding, like, especially so one boob is bigger than the other in terms of surgery, after you breastfeed and on Kelly mom, I was reading like, if, if while you're breastfeeding, one boob is way bigger than the other. And like the baby prefers one boob to the other, you can like pump for an extra 20 minutes on the sad boob or the B team boob, um, each like feeding session to try to help that one catch up. Let's say you're done with breastfeeding. Are you just up a Creek or like wait for baby number two to try to help things out? Or like, is there anything non-surgically you could do? So there's no magic answer to this. Everyone's different. Uh, your, how your boobs react after breastfeeding, it depends on your genetics, how elastic your skin is. Um, your weight, if you gained a lot of weight during pregnancy, or like you said, there was a lot of engorgement on one breast that might have stretched the breast envelope out. Um, how old you are, as you get older, your skin loses elasticity. So, um, it, you're there's an old a lot of mom. To play. <laughs> <laughs> Geriatric mom is not what we call like it. Like me, I'm, I'm reaching up on it. <laughs> Okay. And then it's, is that like your same answer for, I got a question about like nipple, like is my nipple is like longer and a little bit sadder. Will it go back? Well, it usually breastfeeding changes, um, slow down or regress once your baby starts eating more solids and drinking less milk. So it really depends on your own individual uh, anatomy. There's no one magic answer again, unfortunately. Will some people be stuck with their new breastfeeding nipples forever, do you think? It usually will go back to okay. That's what I thought. Size. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, that's good to know. Let's see where we are with our list. We've really done, I feel like we've actually almost made it through all of our questions. Um, I did have a question about a third nipple, which I was not familiar with. This was not my personal question, but I had, there was a rumor that one of our teachers had a third nipple that was a man when I was in high school. And so I was always very curious. I didn't know about the third nipple. Um, what do you know about third nipples and is there any way to remove it? That's not surgically removing it. So a third nipple actually can develop anywhere from your underarm extending down to your groin area. It's what? actually Yes. In Most your groin, you could have a third nipple in your groin. Can. In fact, I have a picture. Uh, let me pull up a diagram. So it's actually based off of embryonic development when you are in the womb. The breasts okay. start developing during very, very early embryonic stages. And um, usually oh. the, it's called the mammary line or ridge where the breast, um, breast develops along there. So there is that whole entire structure and breast tissue can develop along that whole entire mammary uh, ridge. So the third nipple can go even to the groin. It usually looks like a mole or maybe a yeah. nipple. So 
you might not even realize it's actually a third nipple until maybe you start breastfeeding and milk starts coming would, out of it. It would make milk? It can and make milk. Oh, oh my God. Not a lot, usually. Okay. I, all of the pictures that I Googled, most of them decided to pierce their third nipple. Did Ooh. you find that as well? <laughs> um, I didn't get that deep into the World Wide Web, but this is the diagram from oh. Kelly Mom, actually. <gasps> wow. So most commonly, it's underneath your breast. Yeah, that was what the pictures I was finding were. Yeah, and usually you surgically remove it um, with, it's a small procedure. It can be done in the office. Oh. So, yeah. So not I, even like under anesthesia. You could just kind of like remove it. You can it. just numb it up a little bit and do a little oh. procedure to just remove it. No big deal. Just kind no of. No big deal. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know it could be all the way down to the groin. That's Yeah. Could you imagine if you thought you had a mole your whole life and then it started making milk? <laughs> what a surprise. That would be a big surprise. <laughs> um, I feel like, okay, we're like two minutes ahead of 845. And do you feel like there was anything that you were expecting me to ask you that I did not ask? Oh, well, looking back through this, um, why, like, if you lose weight, why are your boobs the first thing to go? Like, it feels like a rebellion. You're, you're like trying to get hot and then you lose your boobs. Um, that is a very sad reality, unfortunately. <laughs> and again, this might be tiring to rehash, but everyone is different and the way your body mm. distributes fat can be different. As I mentioned, mm. breasts are fat and breast tissue. So when you lose and gain weight, fat in the breast can change. And some people, that's the first place to go. Some people don't notice any breast changes with fat, with weight loss. So you know, if you're the lucky one, then you need to count your blessings. That's right. That is right, Heather. Um, you've just been a wealth of knowledge. And I have to say, I didn't toot your horn about this earlier. Did I forget to mention that you love sashimi? I don't, I don't remember if I did. But Heather down here knows how to tattoo nipples, y'all. Tell us about that. Um, really to me, quick. whenever you need your nipple tattooed or a missing <laughs> nipple tattooed, yes. Or what so, if I just want my nipples like bigger? I, would you be able to help me with that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, that's not something I've done historically, <laughs> but we'll see what we can do. So, but like, how did you learn to tattoo nipples? So that's a great question. I've always been a uh, kind of a crafty, artsy kind of person. So. <laughs> Uh, the opportunity came for nipple tattooing, and I wanted to jump on that wagon. I actually did a, a two-day workshop with a tattoo artist to learn, and oh. I've been doing some on my own, and eventually you just get into it, and basically it's just shading. You know, when you're in art class and you're shading a spear, you're making it look like it pops out, so our goal of nipple tattooing is the illusion of protrusion, so... Tattooing does not give you shape, but it can look okay. like it pops out. So I've seen your work, Heather. It felt like I could touch it. It felt like that. That's the and goal. That's a testament to your art. Thank you. Do you dream in nipple like shapes? Are you like, oh, I haven't tried that one? Well, yeah, I've had, I've had patients ask me if I do different shapes, but for now oh. I'm sticking to the traditional, but maybe later on, who knows? Oh, yeah. I know. Well, do you like always try to get their nipple back to how it was or sometimes they're like, just surprise me? Yeah, so we actually 
do a huge long consultation before we do the tattooing and the consultation actually takes longer than the tattooing itself tattooing probably takes <laughs> half an hour to an hour and then before that we talk about the size you want where you want it you look in a mirror we choose the color so um you have a choice on what you want as well that's so cool you're such a badass heather you're thank the booby you. queen i enjoy it <laughs> i cannot thank you enough for joining me i feel like i'd like everybody to clap for you but this is our first ig live so i don't know if that's possible but i i'm imagining everybody clapping and just saying thank you you're a goddess um i wish i if we could go to summer camp right now I would be so in and I'd want you to be my counselor and this is the best cabin chat ever. So thank you so much. I owe you big time. Thank you so much for having Heather me. Tracy is one of the best nurses that we have and she's always so warm and loving and uh, it goes just two ways. The yes. positivity that we feel yes. for each other. I know work is hard. Like working with cancer patients is not easy, but it's so much better and definitely like very encouraging when I'm sitting next to somebody like you who's like egging me on that we can do it and that like we can make a difference in patients lives I really appreciate that so, yeah I, just I love you oh I love you too oh, I recall one instance where I was following up with a patient's chart and I saw a really beautiful warm message from Tracy to the patient and it's just more of a person um you know, some personal factor to patient care that's more than a number and a statistic. So I really appreciate yes. you, Tracy. I'm sure we've always, all of us have been on like the other end of that patient receiving line where you either like have a good, like positive provider or someone you just feel like you're like getting an answer. So it feels good to know that I'm among colleagues that are behind loving them, loving on them. Because exactly. it's hard. Definitely. Well, thank you, Heather. I thank will be you. sending you a calendar invite for coming over to watch Superstar with me. Can't wait for your backyard <laughs> movie screenings again. And I can't wait to see you again in person. I haven't seen you since uh, the babies and COVID. So, oh. all right. Love you, Heather. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.